The last page has been turned on my most recent read. I have just made my fifth cup of tea of the day because it's late enough that it's getting dark. And I am finally done for the week. We've got a bank holiday to look forward to. And if you're listening to this on release day, happy 1st of May. Anyway, it's another week and another book. And as you know, I do like to talk about different genres. And this book is on a theme that I haven't talked about in well over a year. It's an actual facts 1980s rock star romance but not the sort you're used to today, that's for certain. This week I have picked up and read a few books, but mostly I have been working to clear my diary of outstanding book reviews and make sure that the website is summer ready because I really do like to change things up a bit as the seasons change. There's nothing worse than seeing snowfall on the opening page of a website when it's beautifully sunny outside. With a few extra reading days this month, I am looking forward to some downtime and I've already started to put the potentials in piles around my flat, just in time to spend the bank holiday weekends relaxing with bits of my TBR. This is a book I have been thinking about for a while, to be honest. It's a book that you're more likely to find on the shelves of an obscure second-hand bookshop than you are in Waterstones or another high street store. This book was originally published by Penguin as part of their Teen Plus range in a time long before the publication of YA novels became mainstream. So here I am, no spoilers, opinion-filled as ever, and ready to roll, all of which means it's time for the latest episode of Being Bookish. Join me today as we talk about a teenage girl in London who simply can't get a break in Liz Berry's 1988 novel, Mel. I'm your host, Ray, self-confessed bookworm, introvert, hermit, long-term depression sufferer and ex-coffee addict. Join me on my journey through my ever-growing to-be-read pile and enjoy the latest of my 100% spoiler-free book reviews. has their favourite books and I am sure that I have mentioned before that in my teens I went through a phase of reading books about girls who met slightly older, much wealthier men and found their lives forever changed by these encounters for multiple reasons. Some of these stories were much tamer than others, especially those that were written as part of the Sweet Dreams series and then you have books by Liz Berry. Don't get me wrong, I liked the Sweet Dreams books. They were fun, easy reads that I managed to consume at a rate of knots. There were hundreds on the shelves of my school library, stored amongst the many works of the Bronte sisters, Austin and Dickens. However, they lacked something that I discovered the books by Berry included. A little bit of reality, though granted it was incredibly shielded by the somewhat fantastical idea of meeting and having a rock star fall in love with you, almost to the point of obsession. So light a few candles or perhaps just switch on that reading lamp because a bit of atmosphere is always a wonderful accompaniment to a reading session. Get yourself a cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening, and your preference, of course. And let's get started. 
nobody wanted to help Mel until her mother had a nervous breakdown and then the offers came flooding in. Mel is determined not to be sent to her great aunt Edie's. Instead, she decides to stay put and decorate their squalid house ready for her mother's homecoming. First, she throws out all the chipped ornaments and the broken television and hangs new curtains in the bedrooms and discovers she has a real talent for interior design. When Mel meets Mitch Hamilton, a well-known pop star, while searching in a local junk shop, things start looking up. She can't believe it when he actually wants to marry her. Things aren't easy for Mel. She works hard getting the house ready, but isn't prepared for her mother's outburst. Not only does she have to cope with an unstable mother, there's Roxy Lee, Mitch's jealous ex-girlfriend, his posh parents, and Mel's teacher, Keith Edwards, whom she had a crush on ages ago. But Mel's taste for life and her strength to assert her independence help her to cope with these startling changes in her life. This book doesn't hold back. It starts with our main character, Mel, sitting on the embankment at the end of her street, waiting for the moment when a train will come by. She's been planning it for a while. She just wants to die. So, yeah, it's not all happiness and sunshine. For years, Mel has been the victim of abuse from her mother, who is in need of help, but the support just isn't there. So Mel takes the brunt of irrational and repeated violence. Her neighbours can see that she is suffering, but as we go into each of the houses and meet them all, they are talking about Mel, but also acknowledging that they aren't going to interfere, though they know that someone needs to. In this, it's a case of pass the buck, it's not our problem, let someone else deal with it. Unfortunately, no one is dealing with it. Distracted when Mrs Miller calls her sons, Ben and Stevie, in for tea, Mel misses her chance, falls and gets some cuts and scrapes, and then, dejected, heads home, where her mother is sitting up, tearing pieces of paper into boxes, ready for a move that is never going to happen. The next day, Mel's at school, in her art class, with the young trainee teacher, Keith Edwards, who is also her form tutor, when she's called into the deputy head teacher, Mrs Green's office. It turns out that her mother had a mental breakdown. The police and ambulance were called and now, after years of no support, social services have decided to stick their oar in. Okay, not exactly their oar in because many people appreciate the support they get. But as far as Mel's concerned, their sudden interest in who is caring for her is just interfering with her plans and it's too late. Dee Tracy, the somewhat insipid social worker, tells Mel, who is nearly an adult at 17 and has been looking after herself for years, that she is going to have to go and stay with her great-aunt Edie, a woman who can barely look after herself. The idea is repulsive, so clearly frustrated at this point, Mel tells them that this is not going to happen, that she's going to look after herself as she has been since her mum's first mental break and possibly for even longer than that. This moment is Mel's declaration of independence. Normally she wouldn't say boo to a goose, so her attitude is actually surprising to Mrs Green, but she is not going to let someone just come in and tell her how things are going to be when they hadn't shown any interest previously, despite trying to get help for a number of years. That afternoon, Keith Edwards takes Mel home, and though she is ashamed, 
suddenly she becomes animated as she looks at the property and realises that this can be her project, that she can make something of the place that she had just been surviving in. This is the first moment that Keith realises Mel is attractive, and though he is her teacher, he is less than professional, though it doesn't go any further than him encouraging her to lean on him should she need to. Mel is more than flattered, and the crush she has on him flourishes. She's on her way home one day when she spots some items in the window of a rather messy-looking junk shop. It takes her a while, but she finally walks in and is greeted by a rather rude young man who, in his own way, is handsome and definitely arrogant. He asks her if she wants an autograph and she laughs it off, only interested in the goods she's seen and wants to buy. Mitch is immediately intrigued, but it's clear Mel isn't interested. He even asks her if she's getting married and seems more than a little relieved when she tells him that she is not, that she's only 17. Okay, I have to ask here, what is it with Liz Berry making her female characters only 17, not quite an adult and not quite a child, but definitely living an adult life? It seems to be a recurring theme, at least in the books that I've read so far. The shop starts becoming a regular venue for Mel. After suffering a few false starts in the house, she has finally managed to clear enough of the rooms of junk, with the help of people who previously wouldn't even stop to say hello to each other in the street, and she spots a chair. It seems the surprises in the junk shop are endless, and in the corner, this chair that she sees would just be perfect for the house, but it's far more than she can afford, until Lou, the 86-year-old owner of the shop, offers her an exchange. She has a chiffonnier that she has no use for and doesn't even know what to do with. The deal is done and the very next day Mitch is at her door, looking a little less rough and ready and more designer casual. The exchanges go on like this for months. Mitch just turns up at her house and helps her with odd jobs, finishing a dresser, making kitchen cabinets and sourcing a pine dining table. The, the weird conversation they have when she says that she can't afford it and he says, oh, it's fine. It cost me a fiver. That's 20 pence a week. That's 25 weeks. More than half, well, almost half a year to pay off a table that cost a fiver. The value of money in this book, it really does strike you how much more things cost these days, yet the value of it hasn't changed. The list of Mitch's good deeds is pretty much endless. And then one day when Mel passes, the shop is shut. It turns out Lou has taken a tumble and broken his hip, something that is going to take a lot of time for it to, for him to heal because he is in his late 80s, despite the fact he is incredibly active. Mel, because she can't bear to see anyone she cares for in pain, offers to open the shop up when he's not able to. It may not make much money, but to Lou, it's his independence, something that Mel can 100% identify with. Using her own initiative, Mel makes a few changes to the shop and in no time it's actually making proper money. Mitch, in the meantime, has gone away and his absence is something of a relief. 
because for some reason something between them has changed that she's not comfortable with. A discomfort that grows when he comes back just before Christmas and talks about spending the holidays with her, making a meal for his friends and making it sound far cosier than she likes the idea of. Not sure I actually blame her for feeling any of that discomfort right now because there is no indication that there's anything between them and he's talking about sharing the holidays with her as though they're an established couple who are just inviting his friends over for tea. Yeah, it's a bit weird. All the time in the background, there's Keith Edwards. He is this smiling, over-friendly teacher. You know the one, he's too handsome and knows it. A little too flirty to be your teacher, but not so flirty that you can say with certainty he's actually flirting. Mel acts as though she's waiting on him to act on an attraction she's sure he feels, when in actual fact he's just stringing her along. Although, to what end, I'm not actually sure. Christmas passes and Mitch, though angry at Mel's reluctance to spend the holidays with him, is still interested. Something that her friend Lucinda can see far clearer than our oblivious heroine. He asks her to go with him to a party that is being held by his record company to celebrate the success of his band assassination at some swanky hotel. Initially, she refuses, but when he offers the added incentive of a desk she has been admiring for months, she is unable to resist. At this point, I can't help but be just a little reminded of the way that Dev dresses Kathy in Easy Freedom because Mitch decides to play Pygmalion to Mel's Galatea, deciding on her clothes, her hair, her makeup, all to make the best impression on his bandmates and the head of the record company. Not feeling quite like herself, Mel somehow ends up sleeping with Mitch, an act she pretty much immediately regrets and thus sets down the path of her own destruction. This book is not a long one, admittedly, but so much happens in so few pages that I could easily tell you everything. But as this book is still in print, I will post the link in the episode notes. I do think that it's one you might like to read for yourself, hopefully. And hopefully I have managed to sell it to you. To reveal everything that happens after this point in the book would be to completely spoil it. And being honest, there is so much more I could dig into in the earlier chapters, but then you wouldn't need to read it at all. Most of the books I have talked about over the last five months have been relatively new, but this week I have taken a trip back to my past This book is one that was definitely written for a teen audience, though it is nowhere near the same as the type of YA you'll find on the shelves today. It's not part of a series, it's not a fantasy or supernatural, but having thought about it a lot over the last week and also speaking about it with Christy, who is at Christy underscore writes on Twitter, the person who actually influenced me into talking about a book this week, and she's rereading it, so I'm eagerly awaiting her views. It is one of those books that is definitely aimed at a YA audience, but maybe the YA of 1980s. 
Though I have read this book many times over the years, I didn't start to think about reviews until after my latest reread and subsequent Sim Gim read to pinpoint the elements I want to highlight in my own review. I do want to add here that whatever the outcome of my reading ends up being, I don't let the opinions of others sway me. As with every week, I do find the reviews of others interesting, especially with books that are a little older and a bit harder to get hold of, as this one proved to be. Like the other books by Liz Berry I've already talked about, Easy Connections and Easy Freedom, Mel was out of print for many years, though it is now available on Amazon. I have to be honest, had this book been out of print right now, I probably wouldn't be talking about it. Because I don't think it's fair to talk about a book that nobody can get hold of easily. As always, I like to provide a balanced perspective because I think that when it comes to deciding on a new book, having views from both ends of the spectrum is important. I'm not saying that you should allow yourself to be swayed by the views of others or me because you are the person doing the reading after all. But sometimes they can help you determine whether now is the right time to be reading something, especially if there are sensitive topics involved. Kat gave the book a three-star review, which is the same rating I gave it upon rereading for the first time in probably a decade, back in 2021. She said, I read this when I was about 13 years old. At the time, it seemed very grown up, as boys were just beginning to interest me. I reread it while home for the holidays, and now some of the plot details just are really unrealistic. Even though teacher-student sexual relationships are much more common nowadays, it's still not a topic I would choose to introduce to a hormonal preteen, even if the MC does eventually wisen up. Having said that, it is nostalgia that makes me keep it. It's a fast read, not a terrible overall YA adult book, unlike whiny melodramatic Twilight or Shiver characters, that's worth keeping, even if it's not award-winning material. Though this book came out originally in 1988 and has gained something of a cult status among those who remember it, it's not easy to find reviews of any rating. I think that this is probably partially due to the fact that it was out of print for a considerable period of time. The book now wouldn't, unfortunately, be able to compete with others in the same marketplace because it is dated, but that makes it all the more appealing to those of us who really remember the 1980s. And it's the sort of book that, though the themes are still unfortunately relevant today, would seem incredibly dated to a more modern YA audience who have so much choice with everything from ethereal fae princes to 100-year-old vampires. Being completely honest, finding reviews for this book was difficult. Often it will be the reviews for one end of the spectrum or the other that prove complicated to locate, but when it came to Mel, I struggled, searching across a few platforms to find something that wasn't in another language, more than a couple of lines in length, or contained no spoilers. There are a total of 366 ratings and just 32 written reviews on Goodreads, and the book has a really good overall score of 4.13 out of 5, but that didn't make it any easier to find the balance that I really wanted to give you. 
As I say every single week when it comes to opinions, whether it's for a book, film or a TV programme, every view is personal to the individual who wrote it. So all of these reviews are completely subjective. When it comes to picking a book for yourself, it's always worth looking at more than one review if you're not sure and if you can find them. Though, to be honest, I would ask a friend first if you can, because everyone's opinion is different and a friend is more likely to be honest with you. As I've already mentioned, I had to search across a few sites to find a written five star review. Despite the fact that the book has a good score both on Goodreads and Amazon, where it's actually got a 4.7 out of 5 with 69 ratings, finding a fully written review was just not that easy. SPs gave the book five stars and titled her review a favourite for 20 years. She said... I first read this book when I was a teenager after thoroughly enjoying Liz Berry's other book, Easy Connections. I was captured by it and still remember not wanting to put it down. Several years on, I still thought about those books and managed to find a copy in a second-hand bookshop. Reading it again with a more mature perspective only made this book better and I have had to buy another copy after lending it out so many times that I can't remember who has it. The story itself is about a young adult... 15, 16, who has a very difficult life due to her mother's deteriorating mental health. She struggles along and puts her efforts into making the house a nice place to live after her mum is taken into temporary care, receiving help through her art teacher, friends, neighbours and the people at an antique shop. Her life takes a very different turn in the course of this and things become exciting and frightening on a whole new level. An exceptionally good story by an amazing author. If you like to read fiction that mixes believable characters with fantastic but real situations, taking you on an emotional journey, I would recommend reading this book. When reading the reviews that other people have left for any product, you need to take a lot of things into consideration. Just like your opinion of anything, the rating someone gives a book can depend on multiple factors, from how they read it to how they were feeling at the time they read it. Has the reviewer experienced a similar life experience? Do they identify with the main character or someone else in the book? Are they familiar with the situations being described? Of course, we can't see into the heads of every reviewer who leaves a comment on a website, so we have to take each review written with a pinch of salt. Anyway, now I've told you about other people's views, let's get down to it. Here are my thoughts on Mel by Liz Berry, completely spoiler-free and, as ever, 100% honest. Did I like the book? Though I only gave this book three stars when I rated it a couple of years ago, and the rating likely won't change once I've given it a little bit more thought... There is something about Mel which makes me want to revisit it on a relatively regular basis. If I haven't mentioned it enough, I'm a teen of the 1980s. And when this book came out, I was 14. So I was exactly the sort of audience they were targeting. This is why, when I found the hardback of this tale on the shelves in my school library and noticed it was by the same author who had written the duology that I loved so much, Easy Connections and Easy Freedom... I just had to pick it up. For me, this book is pure nostalgia. I pick it up, read the words, and I find myself transported back to the days before mobile phones, 
when colour CRT TVs were a luxury that not everyone could afford, and you found out the latest news about your favourite band from reading the current issue of Smash Hits. On the surface, Mel is a simple book with an even simpler story. Girl meets boy, boy likes girl but girl likes someone else. Boy tricks girl into dating him, lies about their relationship, girl gets annoyed, boy gets jealous, boy and girl end up together. The end. Wow, trying that, saying that a few times fast, I dare you. As I said, on the surface, it's easy. However, when you dig deeper into the story and look at the messages that Berry is trying to share, sometimes not that subtly, if I'm honest, then you'll find something a lot more complex, a tale with many layers. Sure, Mel is a teenage girl who meets a boy. That's true. However, Mel is also a teenage girl who has been forgotten by an overburdened social system. Her mother is not only suffering from serious mental health issues that Mel is blocked from getting help with resolving, but she's also abusive. Her teachers pretend to be concerned about her, about the bruising that she often comes to school with, but take her excuses at face value and leave her to it. Her neighbours hear the yelling and the screaming, but because they have enough issues of their own, just ignore it because it's none of their business, and to get involved in someone else's problems is to cause more for themselves. I would say, don't even get me started on the whole teacher and student relationship thing, because, oh boy... But I sort of have to talk about it because it's a part of the book. And though that particular part of the story could easily be buried, it's an issue that shouldn't be swept under the carpet. So where to start with Keith Edwards? Well, he is in a position of power and right from the beginning you can sense that there is something a little bit odd in the way that he treats Mel. Sure, initially you are lulled into this false sense of security, believing that he truly has Mel's best interests at heart. And perhaps for a few moments, he really does. The thing about Keith Edwards is that he isn't that much older than the students he's in charge of teaching. Mel is vulnerable, likely a little bit more vulnerable than many of the other students in Keith's class. And when he shows her attention, it could be read that she invites it. But again, I need to stress that she is his student and he is her teacher, whether he's a student teacher in training or not, that's irregardless. The scenes with Mel and Keith give me a few moments of massive discomfort because he is in a position of authority over her and he is, to a degree, taking advantage of this. From the moment he notices that she is without any form of parental protection, his behaviour is less teacher and more predator and this only becomes worse after he is made aware that she is sexually active. He pretends that his interest in her is noble and there are a few moments when he sort of shakes off the attraction he is starting to feel and tells himself that she is in his care. But this brief side of conscience vanishes when he is alone with her. I sort of get where Mel is coming from here. She has no father figure in her life and this man who she admires is paying her attention. And when Mitch accuses her of thinking about Keith in an inappropriate way, she acts frustrated that he frightened off the other man because she believes Keith's attentions to be both genuine and a sign of his falling in love with her. In that moment, she is very much the teenage girl we have almost been ignoring she is because of the situation she lives in. 
Though Mitch shares a lot of qualities with Berry's other male rock star creations, namely Chris and Dev, who I wish I didn't like as much as I do, he is less reliant on his fame and popularity to get him what he wants, which in this case is Mel. He is definitely a lot more subtle than his predecessors when it comes to wooing his unsuspected prey. Yes, I am calling her prey, because there are certain things he does that, despite the fact he doesn't attack her or harm her in any way, that make me angry. Things between Mel and Mitch start off in a way that makes you positive they are either going to end up just being friends, or we're going to get the sort of slow burn that authors like Lynn Painter are well known for. However, from the first moment that Mel walks into his grandfather's antique shop, he is watching her like a hawk watches an unsuspecting dormouse. There are moments when it feels as though Mitch wants her to recognise him as the rock star lead guitarist of Assassination. Seriously, what is with these names? And it seems as though sometimes he is frustrated by her lack of interest in what he does away from the shop. Because to her, it's irrelevant. She's got far more important things on her mind than this guy's career outside of working in a shop that she knows him in. Of course, he is lulling her into a false sense of security, as though he has learned from the actions of others that, are, that just taking what he wants doesn't get you too far. Perhaps a later throwaway comment about knowing Chris and Deb from Easy Connections is an indicator of that. Who knows? Anyway, he starts off by helping Mel to repair kitchen cabinets in her home and then moves on to persuading her to accompany him to an evening at a fancy awards ceremony. This event is where you see what his motive has been all along. Initially, she is reluctant to go, but he uses what he knows about her to his advantage and offers her the one thing he knows she won't turn down in exchange for an evening of his company an antique desk that she has been admiring for months at the back of the antique shop. That he does this lowers him in my estimations. He manipulates her into doing what he wants, and then when she is drunk and largely unaware of her surroundings, they sleep together. Okay, so you could argue that she went to his flat knowing that this could be the outcome, but she is in an unfamiliar situation and so out of it that she doesn't even consider the possible consequences, at least until the next morning. Sure, on the surface, Mitch is every inch the nice guy. He's been helping her to do up her home. He has been supporting her, being a friend. But when she tells him that she has to leave and that she can't believe they were both so careless when it comes to not using contraception, he laughs and tells her that at least they're engaged. Oh, did I forget that little snippet? To get a jealous ex, Roxy Lee, off his back, he told everyone that he and Mel were engaged to get married. It's moments like these that give me an uncomfortable feeling and remind me very much of the moment at Ronnie Scott's in Easy Connections when a very drunk dev tells everyone who will listen that Kathy is his fiancée and that she's pregnant when she's actually on a date with Nick and totally unaware that she may well be carrying Dev's baby. Mitch is so dismissive of her concerns that he frustrates me. Until this point, I sort of root for the couple to really get together. And then the whole post-coital conversation takes place and he drops about 20 points in my estimations. You'll make me pregnant. 
He tightens his arms around her. Unexpectedly, he was laughing again. Great, we're engaged, aren't we? What are you worrying about? It's these statements from him, this dismissive, awful statement that make you question how genuine he is. Is she just someone he wants because she wasn't interested or does he really care about her? There are so many dark and gritty themes that rear their somewhat ugly heads in Mel, including racism, specifically when Ben Miller, the son of her foster parents, is arrested by a police officer who believes he saw him lurking suspiciously. Neglect, both parental and social, parental in the case of Mel and her mother, and social in the case of Mel's mother and the state of the estate that she lives on, which is neglected by the council in favour of areas that are already well looked after. Liz Berry doesn't hold back when it comes to talking about subjects that can hit close to home, something she proved without a shadow of a doubt when she wrote Easy Connections, which includes rape, abuse, abortion, drug addiction and suicide. Though short, her books aren't ones that gloss over the nasty side of life. All that glitters is not gold. Wow, all of this to tell you whether I liked the book or not. Definitely go off on a tangent, though it is relevant. I guess that deep down I do like this book, though like is probably a very generic term when it comes to a story that covers so many sensitive subjects. To borrow a phrase from someone else, this book is small yet mighty. It's a short book at just 221 pages, but it definitely packs a punch when it comes to the plot. Will I read anything else by Liz Berry? When I was looking up this book, I kept on coming across another author called Liz Berry. These two are not to be confused, as the latter Liz Berry is a poet and was only eight years old when Mel was released, so not even the target audience of the novel at the time. There are a few more books by Berry that I would like to read. Janie Adams, who features as little more than a cameo in Easy Freedom, has a series of four stories. They're kind of her origin. Unfortunately, getting hold of them is proving to be pretty much impossible. They are out of print, not available on Kindle, and even availability on eBay is non-existent. Liz Berry has also written another novel called The China Garden, which looks to be a combination of magic and romance. At some point, I may well pick this one up, but right now it's not on my TBR or even on my radar. I honestly would love to read a book that closes out the story of Chris, Dev and Kathy, and it would be nice to catch up with Mitch and Mel at some point to find out what happens with them but who knows what the future holds. If you're looking for something like this or you loved this and want something else, then you'll love these. Is it okay to say that here is where I come unstuck? Books like this are few and far between because they truly are a product of their time. I guess I should recommend the easy duology of Easy Connections and Easy Freedom, which I have talked about previously, and I will post a link to that episode below, because they're indirectly mentioned in Mel, and I mean really indirectly. But when it comes to other teen romances that fit this mould, I can honestly say I'm not sure they really exist. The format of YA novels has changed so much since the 1980s, that I don't know if these would even get a look in if they were placed on shelves today. 
It's been a long and eventful week and I hope that you've had a chance to listen to last week's interview with Paige Toon. It was great to get the chance to talk to her about her latest book and her past work and the latest book has now hit the shelves, Only Love Can Hurt Like This, so get your copy if you haven't done so already. I've just added a new stack of books to my TBR and I am looking forward to reading all of them over the next few months, years, decades. And thanks have to go to Sarah in a book chat I am in for recommending a new online bookshop, Fox Lane Books. I spent a good hour scouring their virtual shelves the other day and added a further three hardbacks to my list. Thank you very much. (laughs) Not that I didn't actually want to buy them anyway. Of course, the fact that I have bought a few new books doesn't mean I have stopped looking for more. If you have any recommendations, whether it's books you've read or books you just want to hear me talk about in my spoiler-free way, send them in my direction. I am always interested in being introduced to new books and new authors. You can send me an email at beingbookishpod at gmail.com. Yes, I did update my email address. Or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to check out your recommendations. Don't forget, if you want to hear about new releases and other books I've read and keep up with my reviews, you can sign up for my newsletter on my website, beingbookish.co.uk. Well, that's it for this week and thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or any of the other podcatchers where you listen. Reviews really do help. You can follow me on Twitter at being underscore bookish and on Instagram at beingbookishpod or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I've got a lot to get ready for next week and a book to decide upon. So until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.